Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We've updated our 2020 NFL Draft Guide this week, where you can find all things draft-related leading up to the first round on April 23rd, including scouting reports on each prospect by Danny Kelly and much more. Also, don't forget to check out the Ringer NFL Show and the Fantasy Football Podcast live from the Combine next week for an inside look at this year's top draft picks. Hello and welcome to The Pod Has Spoken, the Survivor Recap Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. We're coming to you from the Ringer Dish feed. We'll be here every Thursday recapping episodes of Survivor, and today we are breaking down episode two. I'm Riley McAtee, and joining me in the studio is someone I definitely would share half of the hidden immunity idol with. It's Mallory Rubin. Oh, Riley, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you, though I do feel compelled to channel my inner Sophie and say that I'm the last person you should be telling about your Survivor podcast. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) No, this, see, this is totally different because unlike Kim and Sophie, Mm -hmm. who have never worked together, you and I have worked together for years now, five years, years, six years, a long time. I think we have a lot of trust, a very strong bond. We're kind of like... We're more like uh, Tony and Sarah. We got to keep our connection on the down low. <laughs> oh, no. Low. Which Otherwise, of us is too Sarah? Much of a threat. <laughs> oh, I, I'm def- you're definitely Tony. I'm okay, def- <laughs> so it's going to work out better for me. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> no, you'll win in the end, I guess. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> All right. Before we jump in, a little background on this podcast. We're okay. here as fans of the show to break down everything about Survivor. Oh. This is our first episode We're talking strategy. We're talking gameplay. We're talking about how the show functions as television. We're going to talk about what we like, what we don't like. We're going to talk about everything. I'll be your host each week. We'll rotate through different Ringer staffers for a fresh voice and perspective every episode. And that's basically what you need to know. Let's get started. We'll begin with Tribal Council, which is our segment for our instant reactions off of this first episode that we just watched. Yeah. Riley, I thought that this episode of Survivor, so the second week of season 40, Winners at War, and the third episode, the third tribal overall since week one was a double, was the best hour of TV that I had seen since the last episode of Survivor. <laughs> this is what yeah. I said to you last <laughs> night in Slack. This season is electric. It is so, so good. fucking good. It's absolutely riveting and captivating. I just feel like we're watching exactly what we are watching, the best players. And obviously, sometimes the actual best player in a season doesn't win. And I think that probably some fans, maybe I'm just projecting, had a little bit of that kind of anxiety heading into this season. You know, everybody goes in thinking they're the hot shot. Is it even remotely possible that it's going to be compelling, let alone live up to the expectations and the hype? As you noted in your preview piece for TheRinger.com, what a great website. Probes for, for a long time didn't want to do this. Yeah. There was a lot of reasons to think that this wouldn't work. And the fact that it has been an absolute masterclass, not only in Survivor, but in reality TV, is kind of an astonishing achievement. I think that I would have been worried going into this season about a lot of the winners kind of fitting some of the same mold. They're kind of, they're going to be not like the wild, entertaining, crazy reality TV characters, but are going to be pretty likable, maybe a little bit milquetoast, and that could end up actually being a little bit 
boring. Mm-hmm. That has not been the case as we had no. a, a couple of very wild things in this episode that we'll talk about. I think everybody saw Tony in the ladder and oh we will God. definitely be discussing that in depth. <laughs> we'll wait. We'll wait. But we'll be discussing that. And then the other thing that I've been worried about is the big targets and the most iconic players right. being going out early. Right. And instead, we Not have happening. Rob yeah. and Parvati controlling the game. Sandra has been incredible. Not not super uh, high profile in this episode, right. but in general, all of our favorites are just shining so far. And it has been an amazing three hours. Yeah, I think that one of the really cool things about the the viewing experience so far is that you know, Survivor is supposed to represent and mimic a lot of different things in human society, among them, certainly, but also human psychology. That's one of the things that's like, it's a central proposition to the entire experience. How will people behave when they are presented with the opportunity to do anything to their fellow human being to achieve their own end? And what's incredible about watching this season, to your point that you just made about how they all have established personas and identities. And that's not just the case for us, the people watching at home. It's the case for the people that they're playing with. Everybody out there knows what the other person's game is. And I've really enjoyed seeing which of the players basically don't care about that. Like Rob is just like, this is who I am. I'm Boston Rob. I'm the godfather out here. You can fall in line or you can get the fuck out of here. Other players seem very hyper aware of the fact that the people that they are either aligning with or competing against know what their tendencies are and are overcompensating by trying to become somebody else. I think that one of those is a failing strategy. And it's yeah. it's not clear yet which one it is. The 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 player who did the latter that you're describing yeah. is trying to play against their type mm-hmm. it, that stood out to me was Ben mm-hmm. because he knows that he his reputation is the idol guy, the immunity guy, the guy who uh, had a twist that helped him win the game. Right. And so now he's like, I really want to build all the different connections and the relationships. And he's actually like, I will help somebody find an idol to do that. And it worked. Yes. And that was funny. But then some of the times he is going in and talking strategy to people and like melting down Just in front lost. of Boston Rob yeah. <laughs> in, in, in an incredible scene from last week. Uh, and, and some of it is like, Man, Ben, you know, you know what you're actually good at? Like just being kind of a social guy and seeming non-threatening. And also you're really good at finding idols. So just do those two things. Like play the social game, play the idol game. That is your best move. Well, that's the other key distinction between this season and so many of the other ones. Even other seasons like All Stars, things that involve players who have played the game already. It is human nature, especially if you're inclined to go in to a situation like Survivor. I mean, maybe you just want the adventure, maybe you want the prize money, but part of it on some level is that you think you're the best, right? Oh, yeah. You definitely think you can win if you're out there. And this brew, not only the different rules that they've introduced, but just the the inherent premise of the season, the people who are out there, I think it's the first time that a lot of these people have doubted themselves and have thought, the thing that I bring to this, the way that I play, might not be good enough. And that that is absolutely captivating television, watching the people that you've grown accustomed to leading or whatever their style might be. I mean, some people coast to the end and they hide in the shadows and then they they, they make their grand display when it's finally time to sway the jury. The number of people out there right now who think, how am I going to either take down someone like Sandra or Rob? Though, of course, none of them are doing that, which we will talk about, I think, at length today. Or try to find my way to matching that level of play 
I think it's been really an incredible thing to watch. And that's actually my only complaint about the season is that I just want to actually see more of it. You know, I think that the episodes are not long enough. And I'm not saying this just because I'm, you know, uh, just likely to go spend a weekend uh, rewatching, you know, 18 hours of a television show that I've already seen before (laughs) or something like that. I obviously like to to connect to the things that I'm enjoying. The host of Binge Mode wants longer (laughs) episodes. What a shocker. I know. This is almost painfully on brand even for me. Yeah. And yet I will will lean in. You know, the first week felt so satisfying because it was two hours, but still, it was just two episodes. Everything that was happening to lead up to each tribal council vote was, in essence, the same. And then something like what we got last night, the challenge is fun, of course. And I think the fact that we saw Rob shit the bed at the, at the puzzle and then have to deal with that after the fact was was really interesting. Yep. But every second of the challenge, I just felt like I was being deprived of watching each of these players maneuver because that is the great gift of this season. So I, I want a live stream. I know that there was <laughs> Survivor Big Brother edition. Yes. Uh, I know that there was a push to get ninety-minute episodes. I don't know how serious that push really was, which I think ninety-minute episodes would have been perfect yeah. for this. And I do share some concerns in that we haven't even had an episode yet or an hour yet that has two challenges in it, the right. way that many episodes are with a reward challenge and an immunity challenge. And you think like if this episode had a reward challenge. What gets cut? They can't cut the right. the idol hunts. They can't cut the strategy that leads to the vote out. They probably cut the ladder scene. We can't lose the ladder scene. That no. is the yeah. golden nugget in this episode. You need the charm. You need those glimpses of camp life and those actual— They're so important. —genuine snapshots of how these people are interacting together. Since you mentioned the reward challenge very quickly— the absence of a reward challenge, but the word reward— where does the spice rack rank for you among the least— compelling rewards that you could possibly receive on Survivor. I mean, they're tough. They really don't do the, like, helicopter ride to the Great Wall of China like they used to anymore. Sometimes they just have a garbage pile of pizza that they had a few seasons ago. <laughs> the pile of pizza was really rough. <laughs> Iconic. Um, it's I become think, a masterful vehicle for SpawnCon. Like, I'm like, just bring in the Outbacks to yeah. the steakhouse. Applebee's last season. <laughs> yeah. A huge winner. But uh, I, I actually think spices might be in high demand out on the islands. I mean, have you ever eaten rice that just is completely plain? I feel like it's just mush. The, the appeal of it is clear. You know, Jeff does a good job of... Of, of acting as the fluffer, trying to get you excited for the spice rack that <laughs> yeah. you're about to receive, right? Telling you why you should be stimulated by the, the prospect of a chili pepper garnish on your rice bowl, a little sprig of cilantro. I get it. I get it. The rice tastes like shit. <laughs> but... What if you got a steak instead? That just seems like it would be better. Now, of course— This is like day five or six. We got to wait a little bit before they're doing steak. This is also one of the reasons that I would fail at Survivor. You know, I just want the instant big gratification of the pizza pile, which I agree with you looked revolting. Yeah. I want something in the moment that I could eat and enjoy, you know, a vat of peanut butter or something like that. The spice rack ultimately has long-term utility and is thus— actually valuable but in that moment you just look at them and they're all like it reminded me very much you're not watching the bachelor are you i'm not okay but it reminded me you'll still appreciate this because you're a football writer and editor and thus you know that the cleveland browns are the cleveland browns and there was a great moment in the season of the bachelor where as they departed uh and 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 went to set out for their 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 visits to other cities and it's oh what grand journey will we go on next will we go to london will we go to paris and they went to cleveland and every woman wow. who received the news sat there in stunned silence and horror that's incredible that was how the contestants received the spice rack last night 
Um, I want to keep the the conversation flowing a little bit and talk about the person who went home on this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you haven't realized yet, we're going to spoil this episode, so don't listen before you've watched. Uh, so Danny went home. She kind of right. blew up her entire game. Really, mm-hmm. not a not a very suspenseful. I would say vote out. It kind of seemed clear yeah. that she. Danny was heard outs. the bells. Um, so one Granted, of the- that was a Game of Thrones joke for you, and you didn't you didn't laugh. Uh, well, yeah. Hey, that was <laughs> too a good soon. One. I'm too. This is my first time hosting a podcast, and I'm very like I'm looking at my outline. And you're I'm crushing just, it, man. I'm, I'm like, okay, we got to stay on. And so you went in with a strategy, and you're one. sticking to the script, unlike Danny. That was a great joke, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the big theme for the early votes, vote outs that I have seen is for two of them, Amber and Danny, both very old school players, players who have not played in over a decade, right. finding Amber. the game so fast and the the way that the show has portrayed it is that the game has kind of passed them by a little bit mm-hmm. you know it's like if people don't have conversations with Danny she became you know paranoia was a theme at tribal council yes. Danny was extremely paranoid and she wasn't even on the 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 basically chopping block Going, until she put herself there. Until she yeah. put herself there. They were like, oh, should we get out Jeremy or Ben? Uh, and that conversation didn't include Danny. And because it didn't include Danny, Danny was like, you know what? I'll put myself in, in the target position. Right. I The old school, new school thing obviously came to the fore in this episode. The absolutely iconic survivor whiff moment of Danny revealing <laughs> the nature of the alliance yeah. and the divide while speaking to Ethan in front of Ben, who is, of course, not an old school player, not a part of that alliance. I think to, to your point there, though, in, in the broader sense, thinking about how the season might unfold, about whether the game has passed some of these old school players by, I don't know if I'm ready to— I think you're definitely right, but I don't know if I'm ready to say that that's going to be the case across the board because I think that it, it seems to be the case for pockets within each group. So, you know— we're obviously primarily talking about this episode and we don't want to go back and rehash the the first week too heavily. But I thought, as a point of contrast, I thought it was notable how Michelle, a new school player, and you're, I believe, preseason pick to win the season, yep. right? Not not a great episode. She really, she was on the tribe that went to tribal council and she got almost no content. Yes, yes. Last week, she was just like, my brain is melting. Like, I have no idea what's going on. The pace of this is totally unmooring and disorienting. Now, of course, that is also true for a lot of the old school players, not only the, like, Amber, Amber, and Danny, who've been voted out, but Ethan, who has been a delight to watch, and I think in many ways one of the most effective avatars for the viewer, I've been here since basically the beginning, and I have no sense for what is unfolding around me. I am just watching in awe and hoping that I get to be here until the end. I find that an incredibly refreshing viewing experience. I think it's really fun how candid the players are being about their level of comfort with what is unfolding. I think a couple people on the cast are probably doing a more effective job than others of actually deliberately projecting anxiety about the pace, even if they don't feel it. We're going to talk about Adam, and he's one of the people who might be doing that. You have a whole theory about... Oh, yeah. We're going to talk about Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Whether he really knew where the hole in the ground was. But Danny, I think, just had none of the things that you need, ultimately. She didn't have the real 
relationships, the ones that you can count on. She wasn't able to quickly manufacture them. She allowed the doubt. This is always the mistake that you can't make. Allowing the doubt that everybody out there feels to actually be the driving force in the decisions that you're making in a way that then other people see. Like, you can't let the other people see that. And she wasn't strategizing effectively. I think that she could have used that doubt and actually been okay had she gone to the right people about it. Who were the right people in that situation? Well, it wasn't Rob. It wasn't, hey, I'm going to go tell Rob we should vote out Parvati. She should have been able to pick up on the fact that Rob and Parv are aligned. They're super close right now in this game. They're running the show together. And of course, Rob is not going to be like, yeah, I'll get out poverty. She could have gone into the new schoolers and been like, hey, this new school, old school thing is a thing. Mm -hmm. Done it. It should not have done it in front of Ethan. Not in front of, like, Ben, saying it in front of Ben was a problem because she didn't do it deliberately. But she should have said to Ben intentionally and not in front of Ethan and built up the old school, new school paranoia. And she could have targeted the big fish, which are Rob and Parvey, who somehow are never getting targeted. Right. Well, but, but what would doing that require? Intent. Yeah. And I don't and confidence think, yes, she didn't have. I don't think intent was actually ruling her at any point in this episode. The only reason that she landed on Parv as a target is because, at least based on what we saw, she felt wounded. Yeah. I was supposed to be with this person and I'm not. Also, the idea of picking up on the fact that Parv and Rob are in alliance, like, my dudes, Boston, Rob, and Parvati, are sitting on the fucking beach. Laughing. Laughing and asking if their tribe mates are dumb. There's yeah. nothing to pick up on. There's no subtlety <laughs> at play. And I really respect and admire it. They are owning what they're doing. So if you can't see that and figure out how to navigate it, you have no chance. And we have seen that so far, and that is, I think, going to continue to be the case. I also have a theory that maybe one of the reasons that Parvati and and Rob, to an extension, kind of left her out of some of those conversations was because she was the one targeting Rob in the first episode. And maybe that trust wasn't quite there. You know, they were working with her, but she was clearly going to be on the bottom of that alliance. But in that case, the way to deal with that is to go to the other group of people and subtly work your way in not to, like, freak out and tell everybody what your intentions are. Yeah, I mean, think about the way that Rob brought her in after he found out that she was targeting him. It was the whole, if you hadn't told me, you know, it's a straight mob boss. And this is, of course, his whole style. The Rob father. Yeah. You don't bring a person in like that to actually, actually keep them as a partner. That person is a pawn until you don't need them anymore. Uh Uh-huh. And if you don't know that about Rob when you're aligning with him, you shouldn't be on the beach with him in the first place. The other big thing that happened in this episode were the immunity idol fines. Uh, Too many idols already. Sandra has an idol that she bought for one fire token from Natalie. That was last episode. This episode, Denise found an idol on her beach. She gave the half of it that she had to give away. Uh, to Adam mm-hmm. after <laughs> considering giving it to Parvati, which seemed like it made no sense. Yeah. Uh, Kim found an idol as well, and she gave her half to Sophie, who she seemingly had never really worked with before. Bizarre. Um, as we hinted at at the top of the show. And then Jeremy was able to buy, it's not actually an idol, but what they call safety without power, which is where you can leave tribal council before the vote. Um, and so you're safe, but you cannot also vote. Right. And I think to, uh, you have to leave, I think, before 
anyone votes. So you can't even use it as a like a block too. you know, where, where all those votes just become null. Everyone right. knows that you're not there. But you get to participate in the conversation at least. Right. We don't know for sure. Yeah, I we guess. don't know for sure. I, I don't think that they've ever had this. Yeah. And I also it, it didn't appear at least based on either what was read aloud or what we saw in the paper, though I didn't freeze frame to zoom in or anything. There doesn't seem to be a time limit on when Jeremy can use this. He can just hold on to this as far as we can tell. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's time Whereas the the split idols and this was this is this is a key factor in terms of assessing the decision making. You had to hand the other half to someone by sundown. Right. So they were on the clock and that is basically the only way to rationalize what Kim did, I think. Yeah, and I wonder if Kim just doesn't have any other allies here really and feels like she needs to build trust. I mean, one of the things that you can definitely do with idols and what these kind of split idols are specifically designed to do is you can use them to build a connection. You can either strengthen an existing connection or try to form a new one. And so Kim is clearly trying to create some trust with Sophie, and Sophie is like... I was in shock. Kim should be telling Tyson about her idol. I am the last person Kim should be telling about her idol. Idol has power when paired. So you'll have half and I'll have half. I'm going to leave mine here. Do you want me just to leave yours here too right now? I see Kim as somebody who's super aware. She's like the most socially adept person out here. I think the problem for Kim is like everybody knows that's what let her win the last season. So I think even if she is like the nicest Texan in the world, everybody's going to see that as a threat. So she shouldn't be telling the devil who has never worked with her yet in this game about an idol. I'm the devil. You're an idiot for yeah. trusting me. Literally called herself the devil. That was rough. I mean, I I feel for Kim, especially after the opening of the season for her where she felt, you know, that's the, one of the members of this targeted nominal, quote unquote, poker alliance. Like the poker alliance. And you, could, I think you could really feel how helpless she she felt that she was in those moments. Like, I, I don't have relationships with these people. I'm not friends with these people. This is not a thing. Don't hold this against yeah. me. And then what, of course, is the byproduct of having to campaign to secure your place in the game by pointing out the fact that you don't have relationships with people. It's that you realize you don't have relationships with people. So I understand, of course, that she wanted to attempt to foster those. But Sophie is quietly vicious. And it was pretty fun to see that unfold. I mean, those are some of the most satisfying moments watching Survivor where you're witnessing an interaction unfold and it seems so pure. And then yeah. somebody cuts to their confessional and they're like, this person is a moron. Love it. I love those. <laughs> in general, though, I, don't, I just, I think we already have too many idols in play. And I'm worried yes. about the volume the proliferation, and also the fact that they're coming in from so many different avenues. Maybe I'm an idiot. Definitely possible. You don't need to comment on that, Riley. Nor do you, Bobby. <laughs> but, we all think you're great, Mallory. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> but when we realized that part of the fire token economy was going to involve finding idols or advantages and then selling them yeah. to people who are still back on one of the tribes for fire token. I thought, okay, maybe we won't have people just finding them on the beach. Maybe this will be the way that right, idols enter that it the would game. Yeah. The beach but so, now we got two beach idols. That's it, a lot. Yeah. Anyone who knows my writing that I've done for Survivor on the Ringer.com, which is yeah. just plug the website here, yeah. or any of the appearances that I've had on the watch knows that I'm very skeptical of the proliferation of idols, advantages, twists on the show. 
And, you know, with Edge of Extinction in play and Fire Tokens, this season definitely was set up to have a ton of that type of stuff. And we're already seeing it with all these idols. One of the things they have done is they have tried to, you know, lessen the power of all of these idols a little bit. Safety without power, um, these idols that you have to share share with somebody else that make it so they're, you know, are, are not just regular old immunity idols. Maybe they are not quite as powerful in the game because mm-hmm. of those twists, but it still feels like there's a lot of them. It takes a lot of time out of every episode to show extinction, show them being sold, show right. the idol hunts. You know, it takes away from the character moments and everything. And then I want to ask you, how do we feel about this fire token economy so far? Is it an economy? Is it working? What is it adding to the game? What are you seeing? I'm kind of into it so far. I'm I'm at least more on board than I was anticipating. I thought I was going to hate this. I, on the one hand, just appreciate the, the, the base rationale for it, which is in the most kind of condensed, boiled down version, uh, Survivor is supposed to reflect society, and at some point, society turns to currency. Obviously, now I'm just uh, parroting something that you have said to me in the office. As usual, your <laughs> wisdom has penetrated my life. Go in ahead, so you can many take credit ways. for it. It's fine. The, the 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 realization that the people who make Survivor had that they were going to have to figure out a way to keep all these players in the game if they got them to sign on. So that's obviously Edge of Extinction, but also uh-huh. all of these the the what the, the fire tokens do. It's allowing the people who are on Extinction to actually impact the game. Right. They're not just sitting there waiting. They're not just biding their time. It's not just an exercise in misery and patience and the war within yourself, you know, hope and despair and what will win out. Shouts to all my first reformed heads out there like Bobby. Natalie has had more of an impact on the first three episodes of the show than almost anyone other than... Robin Parv and yeah, a couple she's other had people. had a ton of screen time, And too. she was the first person voted out. So I like that part of it. These people actually are having an active hand in what's unfolding. Now, here's yeah. what I don't like so far. This shit is too cheap. The price points make no sense. Well, so... A fire token for an idol? Are you kidding? I thought that it was going to be a, a supply and demand type. We we're going to reach a market price for what an idol is. As in, right. you know, if a person on the edge of extinction finds an idol or an advantage and they want to sell it, they can say that they have it to the people in the game and then those people can bid on it. Yeah. Auction like situation. I'm shopping my shortstop in fantasy baseball. Yeah. Make your best offer. Actually making deals, negotiating, whatever that would involve. Instead, it's just, hey, you can sell it for one token. One token? Who's not going to buy an immunity well, idol for thing. one token? You are effectively just able to give whoever an idol or an advantage in the game. I know that the right. first one Natalie had, she had to give it to someone on the losing tribe. That's probably why it went to Sandra and couldn't go to Jeremy. Um, but for the second one, I, I think that she could have given it to anybody, and so she just gave it to Jeremy. And of course, he already has two tokens, so now he has one. Which, that's the other the thing. Advantage. Like, she, she had, one of the only risks associated with the decision now is, oh, what if a person, the person I designate doesn't have a token to give me? Yeah. She had given Jeremy Easy. Her fire token. Easy to so know that he's going to have had a, Obviously, he could have, in theory, spent it on, on something else, but she had a high level of confidence that she was going to get that in return. Now, the one, if we play out the string here, the, the obvious question to ask, if the idols are this cheap, if people are going to be 
selling and purchasing them regularly is what is Natalie going to do with her bounty of riches that she's going to accumulate, right? Or whomever on Extinction. Because by the time she gets a chance to enter the game again— Buy some spices, maybe. (laughs) Buy a pile (laughs) of cold pizza. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For like two tokens, while an idol costs one. I wonder if the price points will change at some point. That's the other thing. I think they must. It feels like they'll have to, right? I think they'll have to be, maybe they're just getting us familiar with it now and the prices will go up to the point that no one will even have the number of tokens required. So you will have to collaborate with people to pool your tokens together to buy something. That's where it would get really interesting to me. It'd be Mm -hmm. really interesting if like an alliance that is on the bottom and doesn't have the numbers is able to pool their tokens together and, and buy an idol or some other advantage or twist that they can use to flip the flip right. the game upside down. But right now, it just feels like the people on Edge of Extinction are just throwing out advantages to whoever mm-hmm. wants them. Yeah. And that, to me, is something I'm very skeptical of. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm kind of worried about Robin Parvati long-term. Okay. So right before they went to Tribal Council, Jeremy and Michelle had a conversation on the beach, and then Adam joined them where they were like, what if we go for Parv? Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they decided— Nope, this is a good vote to just go along with the consensus, not rock the vote, rock the boat. Everybody wants to get Danny out of the game. Uh, she is also not a reliable person. Mm-hmm. So that works for us. We can just get her out. But if you think about Jeremy, Michelle, and Adam, Denise could be brought into that because Denise and Adam are very close. And Ben could also be brought in via Denise because they showed that connection on this episode. Right. So then you have your old schoolers and your new schoolers and your old schoolers are Rob, Parvey, and Ethan, who's mm-hmm. kind of just in the middle floating right now. So I, I don't know. I, I'm very worried that Rob and Parvey are actually, even though they have been in the power position so far, are actually not long for the game. Well, that's kind of the amazing thing about the fact that they're still here is that they they this week at least weren't in the power position. You know, we hear... Par voice that like they have the numbers we don't and yep. I, I think that while this could happen and it's it's it, it's very easy to see the path toward it it has been since the moment they they landed on the beach and the fact that it hasn't happened yet is an incredible indictment of all of those people now I think that Jeremy has a chance to do very well here you know obviously losing his main ally immediately and the way that he was ident- I think that helps him yes the way that he was identifying that in real time you you had this kind of interesting moment of dissonance where you were afraid for him and his security long term but also kind of an awe of the way that he sees the board he's getting all of this stuff coming to him from Natalie if she ever does actually come back into the game he has his number one but even if she doesn't she has fueled and boosted his game from afar. Mm-hmm. He's kind of floating in this position where he could latch on to numerous different people. I thought he was one of the most fascinating people to watch at Tribal last night. It was a, a an absolute shit show circus. Again, yeah. I loved it. <laughs> but Jeremy was quiet. He was calm. He was observing. Adam, who again, we're going to talk about more later. Denise, the way you were mentioning, okay, how could they pull on Denise? How could they pull on Ben? Adam doesn't want to work with Ben. That seems clear. He was pretty appalled when he learned from Denise that Ben was the one who helped her find the idol. Now, maybe that's just because he wants to control the information. I think he will. He could work with Ben if the goal is to get out of poverty or Rob because he also sure. expressed a desire to get the big fish out. He did, but then they didn't do it. And they had such a path to doing it. You know, he said, we had that soundbite from him, I know I will never win this game if I don't take those risks. 
But it's and about it's about when it. to take him though. It's about when to take him. So that's well, so, so that's I think the he, question. He's waiting. It's so early in the game. It's so early. Was um, this wisely cautious though, or was this a missed opportunity? Because yes, it's so early, but it's amazing to me that we're three weeks in and no consequential player has been voted out. I think that I think that for now they'll be okay. Because I, I do think that they'll have the numbers. Nobody wants to watch Robin Parv run the show. And, and yet. it was easy, it was an easy vote to get Danny out and I don't think that she was really working with either group or was a number that either group really needed. In fact, if anything, the old schoolers probably needed her. I think that they screwed up Mm -hmm. by alienating her. They really needed her. Maybe. Let's run through some of our, like, just the incredible moments from the episode that we love because there's so many. Uh, You know, we talk about how the advantages and, and everything can suck the oxygen out a little bit and yet still so packed. Tony's ladder. Simple as that. This was... One of the weirdest things I've ever seen unfold on my television. I can't believe they allowed it to happen. Like that the production allowed it to happen, that the contestants did, that nobody said, dude, you are literally going to kill yourself. Well, they did say that to him. They tried to stop him. They seemed genuinely alarmed for his safety and well-being, as they should have. So the, the, the latter, again, we're using this term quite loosely. It was two massive bamboo sticks. Shoots. Bam... bam. I don't know, bamboo. <laughs> bamboo. Pieces of bamboo. And Tony attempted to construct a ladder by just very, very, very loosely <laughs> applying some twine to the steps of the ladder. This thing was shaking and waving and wobbling and moving. He, it broke the moment he stepped on it. The moment he stepped on it, the wrong broke. And then he was like, oh, just boost me up. They said it weighed 150 pounds. They had to carry it together as a team. He appeared to just be propping it up against branches in the canopy of the tree. All of this, by the way, in pursuit of breadfruit that Yule had already figured out a much safer way to retrieve from the tree. Tony has so much pent-up energy. You know, he he the, one of the yes. through lines of the season so far has been his forced willpower and restraint to not allow himself to go look for idols. And he's he's a, like a little kid who just wants to dive headfirst into the ball pit with his Capri Sun still in his hand, you know? And he has to find a way to build a new ball pit if they're not going to let him play in the one that already exists. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love that to contrast the Yule and the Tony thing. Yule also, when he's he has his stick, I mean, it's brilliant. So it's such a better Incredible. way to get the breadfruit. And he's also like, well, I'm, I'm probably uh, expending more calories than I'll even get by this. Like, <laughs> yeah. what? Uh, just lovable nerd. He's so great. The best. Um, that was great, too. And then something that I noticed was, so you have Tony climbing a ladder, Yule with the stick. Yeah. And then the challenge right after that, had an element where you had to climb a ladder and use a pole mm-hmm. to push keys off of the end of this right. thing. And somehow, neither Yule or Tony were tasked with that thing, even though they had just done half of it, each of them. That's an incredible observation. This is why you're the best, Riley. I did find myself thinking, watching the the challenge after seeing them construct the the, the various, you know, the, the, the apparatus that they needed in any given moment— it kind of made me appreciate anew for the first time in a while the way that the challenges are actually built and the fact that there are so many lessons there for the contestants if they just look around. Like, it's just planks of wood (laughs) stitched together and painted bright colors so that you know which tribe you're on, right? And Yule and and Tony, to his credit, having the ability to say, I've got 
I've got all of these materials around me. Like, why, why do we have so many seasons where the only thing anybody builds is a shelter? There are all these tools that you can make. And I loved seeing that unfold. I did find it absolutely hysterical that my main dude, Tyson, was like, how is this guy still alive? Tyson was a phenomenal. Talking about Tony, his narration. <laughs> so good narrating. That. I know we signed waivers before we came out here, but I don't know if there was a ladder clause in the contract. <laughs> <laughs> Other great moments. Uh, Rob had a slew of them. Just oh him finding out that Amber had been voted out was both tragic and also just incredible. I do have other friends over there. It could have been Sandra. We just spent the entire season of 39 together. But I don't know if I can trust Sandra. And if she voted my wife out, this is war. Okay, not to be too cheesy. I thought this was pretty moving. Yeah. I really did. It was I was moved when Amber got <laughs> voted out because it's been 16 years. She like left her kids. I know, but now she's kicking it with Nat and Danny on Extinction, you know? Challenged. She's walking up those stairs every day, never looking in the water well. But Rob, the second he got that token, the intuition, you know, and he tried to rationalize, maybe, no, I have other friends on the tribe. Maybe it could have been... Sandro, we spent all that time on Idols of the Island, but he knew. He knew it in his gut that the second he looked at that token, it meant that his wife had been voted out. And we had seen this in the preview for this episode at the end of last week's, but the I don't know if I can trust Sandra. And if she voted my wife out, this is war. My wife out, this is war. Anytime Boston Rob's accent really comes to the fore in a declaration of intent, this is war. I just loved it. They both have to get to the merge. We have to get them both to the merge somehow so that they can play together. And either if they they figure it out and work together because they're both the big targets or more likely if they are on opposite sides. Yeah. Uh, Please, we need it. Um, He also, his like kind of tough guy act at the challenge when he saw that she was gone. Uh, Amber was out. And then the the close-ups of Sandra's face, just her facial expressions during that, you know, she didn't really have to say anything. That was great too. The way that he, as he saw the other tribe walk in, he actually kind of like snarled. His upper lip was twitching. His shoulders tensed. It was a an outstanding snapshot in what body language conveys because, of course, the thing he said out loud when Jeff asked him was, it's tough. This is a game. I get it. You know, said all the right things, kept to the the party line, how you play Survivor. But all of his tribe mates were patting his shoulder. You could just feel his rage. And I loved those shots of the other Matt because, like you're saying, Sandra was just sort of like, I'm not ashamed of the decisions I make out here. But other people looked terrified terrified sophie was smiling though sandra does not care i she she will do whatever um there was also rob just by the ring toss game as everybody came to him knowing that they were going to tribal council that night to discuss things with him it was was very it was very like holding court hey i'm in my office it's the my the day of my daughter's wedding but you come to me and ask what you need like it just so i I can't instead of holding a cat (laughs) and petting him like vito corleone he's playing his ring toss game it's 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 perfect um, then he also at Tribal Council did the this was open the bags. Let's find out who has the idol move. Just uh, again, Rob plays at 100 for the entire game, and it is unbelievable. I cannot believe like how kind of risky this move is. This was, was an all timer to me. I loved this. I had an actual like open gaping jaw 
as this was unfolding in real time, I just I, couldn't believe the balls. The I immediately was like, this will backfire. And then it, didn't. it didn't. It didn't. <laughs> I mean, but that's the, yet, that's the but... story of Rob's season so far, is it seems like everything's going to backfire, and then it consistently doesn't. And you wonder if he's playing on borrowed time or if it he, actually is going to work. I think he understands that he has such a big target on him that he just has to play as hard as humanly possible, and it does not matter. Like, there is no other path for him. He just has to go for it no matter what it is. So, I don't know. I think it—I'm not sure if it's a good move or a bad move. It's just, to me, it was great television. I, I loved, loved it. it. I Those loved bags it. are weird, though. Yeah, very They're so strange. Bright. They're so brightly colored. I don't think they've ever had, like, it's bright like, blue giant messenger bags before. Soho chic. And obviously large enough that you can effectively hide your actual yeah. idols and advantages. Didn't because even work. Denise and Adam, their halves were not detected, and Jeremy's advantage was not detected either. I hope that Rob understood that when he was doing that, the more valuable thing he would get than potentially finding out whether there's an idol or not. Because we've seen people will put idols in their boots, they'll put it in their bras, they'll yeah. put it in their cl- underwear, wherever. So who, plenty, of prob- ca- plenty of cavities in the human body to hide anything yeah. you need. Oh my. Uh, okay, <laughs> uh, let's keep this podcast clean. Um, anyway, you know... It probably wouldn't even be in the person's bag, but you can tell so much by their body language and yeah. how they react to that request right. that you probably learned a lot more about his tribe just from that. Totally. It's one, how did they, how would they respond? And two, just reminding everybody that he's in charge and he's not afraid. Let's talk about the other thing at Tribal, which was Adam not being able to plant his torch in the hole. And Jeff, <laughs> they let it go on for forever. And then Jeff kind of gives Ben a nod and Ben takes the torch and dramatically walks it all the way across the row of benches and plants it in. And Adam's just exasperated and smiling. Um, It looked like a hole. Riley, how many times do you think a young man on Survivor out there alone for days on end has said, it looked like a hole? Valerie, what did I just say (laughs) about this podcast? (laughs) Oh my goodness. Bobby, we have an explicit warning, right? We're fine. Yeah, we do. Um, I'll mark it as explicit. Okay, I have a, I have a, a ignoring that and moving on. Uh, I have a theory Riley about this. Riley is the this. same color as the Bachelor Party logo behind yeah. him. I, I have the exact same facial expression that Adam had on, which is just, I don't even know what to do right now. Uh, so I think he might have, have known what he was doing. Uh, you think in, this was a ruse? In a, in a clip from ET Canada in an interview that Adam gave before the game, um, while they were on the islands, you know, but, but before the game had actually started, okay. he said that one of his strategies on his winning season was that he plays dumb on purpose to lower his threat level. And I think we can play the clip, too. I welcome the egos that I'm going to be dealing with. Yeah, I want people to come into this thinking that they can beat me. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be underestimated. I think I was underestimated last time. Why do you and- think that? Last time I think I was underestimated because I, pl- I played things down on purpose. You know, I didn't want people to know how much I knew about the show and the game. I would just do little things to make people think that I, I wasn't that smart or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, I, I'm going to drink the water right out of the well or whatever. And, and, and people are like, what are you doing? You're going to, oh, you know, I don't know. Listening to that, I'm kind of thinking that maybe he did this on purpose and he's just trying to fly so under the radar. Do you think that this is true, though, or does it strike you as the kind of horseshit that any human being is capable of of, of spewing when they've done After, something embarrassing and yeah, need to account for it? Every time I mess up on this podcast, I'll just be like, yeah, I meant to do that. I'm, I'm <laughs> trying not to, I'm trying <laughs> to keep my threat the radar. level low. <laughs> yeah, uh, it totally could have been something that he just made up after the fact. But. He's... he's 
been to tribal council before. Many times. That's the thing. Like, it's not the first time he's encountering. Including on this season. Yeah. So I, it's so bizarre that for that to happen. It's Pretty just weird. so weird. There was another, I thought, absolutely exceptional and delicious Adam moment in this episode when Denise went to him with the idol, told him that she had discovered it with Ben, and then suggested giving half of it yeah. to Parv. How do you feel about giving it to Parvati? And his response was, my God, I think that's a terrible idea. <laughs> that I is mean, so funny. Also true. <laughs> based on everything we've seen, giving the the half of the idol to Parvati would be a disaster for Denise. Uh, it's just uh, Unless they have some kind of relationship that we haven't been shown on the episodes, yeah. I can't imagine why you would think that that's a that good That was a, a good, subtle moment that reminded you that Adam is actually very smart and knows how to play the game. I liked I, it a lot. Is that very smart or is that just very obvious? Like, or, you know, He's is not it more a f- of a knock on Denise? He, well, certainly was a mortifying moment for Denise, but I thought the fact that Adam was not afraid to say what was on his mind was important. Yeah. Like, he's he knows the moments when he should recede into himself a little bit and let somebody else take the reins and he knows the moments when he needs to say I can't let you fuck up my game that is so true and thanks man I think that that is (laughs) is a great time to transition to our next segment which is our Hmm. archetype breakdown oh So, so what's this going to be every week? Give us a 30-second snapshot of what you're doing here. On this segment, our goal is to look at different survivor archetypes. Okay. And there have been there are obvious casting archetypes that you are probably familiar with. You know, they love to cast like the mom or the athletic dude or the poker player. Um, we're kind of more looking at gameplay archetypes, mm-hmm. especially for an all-winner season. So that is how players can navigate the game successfully or not successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, regard, and, and the casting archetypes and the gameplay archetypes can kind of go hand in hand, but they are different. So we want to use that uh, to illuminate what is happening on this game and maybe focus on certain things that aren't getting as much attention. Okay. So let's break down what I will call the social butterfly. Mm. This is kind of a, a social first player that everyone loves, but it's a person who's very laid back and chill and not a big threat but if they get to the end, just because the jury loves them so much, mm-hmm. they can rack up jury votes and win. Got it. And it's, this is different from a really big personality. This is not Christian from David versus Goliath. Our where, dude. Who we loved. He was great TV. And obviously everyone on the island seemed to love him too. Right. But it was so obvious that he was well-loved that he actually had a huge target. Or even Elaine from Island of the Idols sure. who, who could fall into this category but was a little bit more of comic relief. And also people very much talked about how much Elaine was loved and why she had to, to, to ultimately be booted from the game. Uh-huh. Um, so some examples could be like Tommy from last season, I think it was kind of a, mm-hmm. a, a social butterfly under the radar. Uh, Sandra on basically both of her winning seasons played some of this. David Wright on Millennials versus Gen X. He didn't win, but he was kind of a, mm-hmm. uh, an under radar. Everyone loved him. Mike White, everyone loved him on David versus Goliath. Right. He got to the end and ultimately didn't win. And I think Amanda is another good example on China and actually like really both of her seasons, just a well-liked person. Mm-hmm. So... There are some pitfalls to this as well, though. Uh, players who play this way, they might not control the game, and they might 
end up if they play it too low and too slow, too laid back, too chill, they just become a goat, right. which is another archetype that we can talk about some other time. We kind of got a counterpoint to the potential effectiveness of the social butterfly archetype in this episode, actually, I thought, with with Kim, because yes. the way that Sophie <laughs> just eviscerated her hinged not only on Sophie's need to propel her own game forward, but on identifying that Kim was a threat for this specific reason. She's well-liked. That's how she won last time. Everybody liked her. You're able to blend in just enough to your friendships and your relationships that all of a sudden, before anyone else knows what's happened, you're holding a million dollars in your hand. Sophie's not going to let someone like that beat her. That's right. Yeah, I think Kim needs to figure out— Kim is just so obviously— good at the social stuff that it almost makes her not this player. She'll have to find a different way, I think, to play. But the player who I think is playing as a social butterfly, who we've talked a little bit about, but Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit more about him, is Ethan. He was shown in almost every single conversation in that tribe. And everyone seems to like him. And one moment that really stood out to me was when after the challenge, he told Rob to his face that (laughs) Rob sucked in the challenge. And Rob just laughed and it was funny. It's just obvious everyone loves Ethan. And I love Ethan. You love Ethan. I mean, it's great. Ethan's great. Rob firing back with a you weren't like so good either was very funny. But yeah, Ethan is, there's an interesting hybrid experience going on with him right now where, as you're noting, he's very present. He, he's he's not watching from the sidelines. He is involved. He is building these bonds, fostering these connections. But he's, I think, both like organically and also strategically approaching it from the position of almost like an observer, even though he's an active participant. And that's a delicate balance, being able to do both of those things at once. People obviously like him and root for him. He's pleasant to be around. You know, one of the moments that you hit in almost every season of Survivor is somebody on a tribe who's just insufferable. And the the, the tribe mates know that it's worth keeping that person around because no one's going to want to vote for them at the end, but it's just so painful and unpleasant. Ethan's never going to spark that kind of a dilemma on anybody that he's playing with, ever. And he's reliable. He's steady. That's the other thing. So you're able to... You're able to find security in the bonds with the people that you like when you also trust them. Like, liking someone isn't totally enough, but he brings those other aspects, too. And again, I think the fact that he's owning, feeling a little out of his depths based on how long ago his experience was, oh, the idols didn't exist when I played, could give somebody in your alliance pause. You know, is is this person up to it? But so far, the way he's approaching it seems to be reinforcing to everybody else who's working with him that they can trust him. Because, oh, he needs me. He needs me as his guide, and he's going to stick with me as a result. I think that's really smart. I think that, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier was how a few of the boots have been these old school players and how it seemed like the game has passed them by. But Ethan is kind of showing how you can play the slow kind of old school game and still make it work. He's building these relationships. He's building these bonds. And yeah, he's not hitting the strategy super hard. He's not running around looking for idols. He's not doing these things that define the modern game. But he could potentially leverage the relationships he's building now into a really, really strong game, especially once we hit the merge. It seems like if if he plays this position that he's in right now correctly, he'll have no problem getting into the merge. And he has potential to be one of the most well-liked players out there, also considering that he has probably the best story of any player out there. having survived cancer twice. 
if he is sitting on that everyone's, final tribal council. Everyone's voting for him at wow. the end. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And he has a way of making people kind of forget that he actually is like a huge threat if he gets to the end. He's great. Okay, let's move on to our superlatives section. Okay. Uh, we are we have gone quite long on everything else, which is great. There was a ton to talk about. Breeze through so this. So we got to fly through. Um, Mallory, let's yeah. talk about our best moves. What okay. was the best move of the episode for you? For me, the best move was a collection of many, many small moves. All of the little things that Rob did to avoid having his primary ally, Parv, voted out of the game or, of course, getting voted out of the game directly. The fact that Rob is still here is an absolute marvel to me and I don't understand what everyone else is doing. Just to be clear, I'm delighted because watching Rob is basically my favorite thing in Survivor history other than Tyson narrating Tony's ladder (laughs) climbs. And I want Rob to stay around as long as possible. I just don't understand why the people who are playing with him want that. So very quickly, like rapid fire here. When the other tribe votes out Amber, his own tribe should have had a moment of clarity then. Oh yeah, they did the smart thing. They got Rob by by getting out. Amber, they're hurting Rob because hurting Rob is ultimately the goal. His tribe did not have that epiphany. And even though that's a passive thing on Rob's part, managing that situation well, it still accredits him. He also then completely shit the bed during the challenge. Not a normal thing for Rob. He completely whiffed on the puzzle, stacked all of the pieces, tried to organize them in advance, and then couldn't figure it out. Got absolutely smoked. And instead of making excuses or trying to deflect, he completely owned it and then somehow managed to still be the gravitational force back at camp around which everybody else on the tribe felt like they needed to orbit. They needed to go talk to him. He didn't have to go campaign. That is miraculous and almost never happens. Everybody in the process of those conversations, again, comes to him with information. Rob should have to be working harder to get the information that he's receiving, but people keep just turning to to goo in front of him and handing it over. And he's then able to expertly, again, use that against him. Like Danny saying that she wants to vote out Parv. Or just the information that he receives that, that just serves to solidify the trust that he already has. Like with your dude, Ethan. Ethan, of course, tells Rob everything that happened. And then Rob knows he can believe in that bond more. He helped make Danny a huge target in the ultimate decision to vote out at the end even though that hurt his alliance, as you talked about earlier, because she's an old school player. That's not a choice that everybody has the confidence to make, but it reinforced that he's so sure of his position that he didn't have to worry about losing a number. He thinks he can come back to that. And his whole, like, who has the idol bag dump thing at, at Tribal, even though, as we talked about, it didn't actually reveal who had the idol, I thought it was just the perfect encapsulation of the way that he exerts his domination over everybody on his tribe. It was this microcosm snapshot of how he plays and how fearless he is. Like, only Rob can lose an alliance member, which, again, Danny technically was, and somehow feel like he was in command of the entire episode. There is almost nobody who can control a game of Survivor the way that Rob can. It's unbelievable. And anyone, almost anyone else trying to play like Rob would basically immediately be voted out and probably turn people off and be unlikable. Um, my best move is Tony and Sarah and their conversation where they agree to keep their connection on the extreme, extreme down low. 
Um, there's this clip uh, where where they're saying, "Oh, I can't, I can't even talk to you," and Tony's like, "Yeah, why is that?" And Sarah Sarah correctly is like, uh, "Because people perceive us so much as a pair right now that I cannot even have a conversation with you." And I think that's actually really smart. They've played together twice, though it's kind of only once. They played together extensively on Kagayan. And then on Game Changers, they were both on that season. But Tony went home so early that they never were actually on the same tribe together. But we've seen Natalie and Amber both booted in part because they have such a strong connection in the game to other players. Natalie with Jeremy, who she played with previously, and obviously Amber and Rob's marriage that I think Sarah and Tony being on the same tribe, them keeping their distance from each other is mm-hmm. the best thing they can do for both of their games right now while still forming that that alliance and that bond and that connection that they can use later. But right now, understanding if you have too much of a connection with somebody, that is a great reason for everybody else to send you home. Right. And Sarah's really smart. She knows that she actually has the ability to try to convince people that she's not interested in working with Tony because Tony shivved her. Yep, that's true. And everybody's aware of that history. So I do think that it's reasonable for us to ask if she's actually interested in working with him long term or if she's just looking to exact revenge. But the answer to that almost doesn't matter. It's the fact that other people in the tribe would be asking that question, uh-huh. too. And she seemed in her confessional like she was actually open to working with Jeremy. Yes. I mean, the way that it played out in Kayayan was very messy, and I don't know how much hard feelings there are there. Um, let's move on. Let's do... Worst move. Oh, a rich text this episode. We're, yeah, worst move. We've we've, we've kind of hit about a lot of this. So uh, mine, we don't really have to talk about. It, it's just like everything Danny did. Very rough. Um, Very she, rough. As I said, there were <laughs> there were cracks in that tribe that I think she could have used to target Parvati and Rob, and she didn't. And instead, she blew her game up. Very tough performance from her. Yeah, revealing that in front of Ben. What a weird Ben episode. We haven't really talked about Ben. We'll talk about him more over the course of the season. <laughs> Ben's been weird. Yeah, I think we'll we'll have an archetype for him later on, I think. I thought his strategy to, not to, to, to divert here, but I thought his strategy of helping Denise find the idol was like kind of strange. You know, yes, I, I got it. He talked about needing to build trust and the fact that the only thing lonelier than, go, than, than life on your own is survivor on your own, which I found uh, surprisingly touching. But he doesn't actually have relationships with those people yet. So handing them power like that is strange. But Danny, again, she just got herself voted off. It's as simple as that. She got yeah. herself voted off of the game. That, it doesn't seem like she'll she'll be able to recover from that on an extinction, but who knows? Yeah, I mean, if she, you know, who, I didn't think Chris Underwood would be able to recover either and he won the whole game. So you really true. don't know. He went out third. She went out third. I know. So. It just seems like Natalie is hell-bent on making her return, but who knows? Um, all right. What is overall? What What do you think was the the worst move of this episode? Maybe non Danny edition. <sighs> Other than Danny, I think a couple of the contenders. One of them, I think we have to put in the category of let's put a pin in it, and we won't know if it was a bad move until later. And okay. that is the Adam Jeremy Michelle decision to not pull the trigger on voting out Parv. Right now, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. See, I think that was okay. I know that you're. I know that you are logically and rationally right. That a huge part of Survivor is, is precision and understanding when. I just think that the understanding when for getting people like Rob and Parv out of this game was immediately and that they've already missed their chance. It's very possible that I will be proven wrong literally next week, but that struck me as a real missed opportunity. I might just be blinded by that. I'm like, yeah, keep Rob and Parvati in the game. I want that too. As a a viewer, I'm like, yes. I'm delighted by it. I think, again, we talked about this, but just to reiterate, I mean, Kim telling Sophie about the idol— you understand the impulse. She's trying to build relationships and build trust, but it literally led to Sophie saying— 
she shouldn't be telling the devil who has never worked with her yet in this game about an idol. That is major yikes territory for Kim. The devil quote is really wow. Wow. I also thought that quietly Amber thinking she and Natalie were really working together out on Extinction was bizarre. Like, seemed to have no awareness that Natalie would just go off on her own and actually solve it. Yeah. And get another leg up on her. Just kind of asleep at the wheel there. That was really strange. And then relatedly, while we're talking about Extinction and and Natalie ultimately finding the advantage in the water well, Riley, I am am appalled and disturbed by production's decision to hide a clue in the water. (laughs) I didn't even think about this until until you mentioned it. But yeah, it's kind of gross. I am alarmed. And concerned. There's like a bunch of rocks and like dirt and stuff at the bottom of that what well. What's going like. on inside the water? Oh no. I don't know. I'm yeah. sure they have plenty of safety measures in place with the boiling and it's the tablets and all that, but something. this was rough. I'd never really thought about <laughs> the water very much. I just assumed that it was good water in the well. Oh and my God. They, I don't know how often they really show us the view of the actual well, but it that is like a uh, like a well. I hope <laughs> like that uh, I hope that another uh, container inside of the water well uh, included a fresh packet of Imodium for Natalie and Amber after this. Okay, it is time for our final segment, and then we got to wrap this up. Okay. We are going to run through our front runner right mm. now to win. I think we'll just do one for this episode. Maybe in in subsequent episodes we might do more, but okay. since we have run so far over time, let's just do one. My front runner right now is Sophie. I just think everyone mm. wants to align with her. Okay. Yule made an alliance with her. Kim told her about the idol out of the blue. She is smart and strategic, but at the same time, she's clearly not perceived as a threat and is actually playing a great social game where everyone wants to work with her. I think she is set up for a, a really good deep run right now. I, I like it. I'm compelled by that logic. Though it's so early. In the, I mean, like in two episodes, maybe Sophie blows up and her whole game goes down the toilet. It, it's just so early that who's to say that this kind of front runner segment is a little uh, it, like yeah. impossible to pin down at this point. But yeah, sure. Right now, Sophie. Here's my answer. I refuse to commit. Just like Boston Rob, I won't let you tell me how to play this game, Riley. Wait, are you not picking a front runner? I'm not. I'm you're gonna, you're I'm gonna not give- doing my segment? <laughs> <laughs> Riley looks as I appalled this right outline. now it's, as I did when I saw the clue in the, is so in the water and well. nice. I think that there are a couple people who are emerging in ways that surprise me. Okay. And one of those people, and I, ca- I cannot believe I'm saying this. He's probably going to get voted out next week. I think Adam has a real shot. Oh, I think he does. And I am astonished by that. I am astonished by that. I thought he had a kind of a rough premiere, but he had a good good episode in this episode. I, I think that he does have a shot, for I, sure. Again, that doesn't necessarily align with my analysis of the episode largely hinging on him making a mistake by not voting out Parv, but he has his hands in enough pots right now. Even just the moments where you see him standing next to Rob, like— He's working everyone, trying to keep all of these options open. He's so observant. He's so smart. Personally, has never been my my necessarily favorite person to watch or root for, but I think that he's the kind of guy who we could suddenly find ourselves a handful of weeks from now saying, how is Adam in this position of power? He's enough, uh, whether he plays this up or not, uh, he's enough of an adult that I almost would never perceive him as a threat, but at the same time, he is obviously pretty smart and, uh, you know, has a good intuition for the game. The thing is, though, it is hard right now to not say Rob because even though it's so— I can't pick Rob. It's inconceivable. I cannot even imagine him making it to, like, final tribal. It's, I just, it is inconceivable. It is inconceivable to think that he could. It is absolutely impossible to envision a scenario unfolding that would lead to him making it, let alone winning. However, 
I would have said it was inconceivable to think that he would be here three weeks in. And he, he is. He has already done enough. One of the things is that obviously there will only be one winner for this season. And there are some players who I think have almost no shot to win. Rob is one. Mm-hmm. Sandra is probably one. Parvey's probably one. Yeah. But they can Parv, do— Parv, I think, has no shot. They can do other things that will bolster their overall survivor legacy. And Rob is already yes. doing it. He is showing that even when he is a huge threat, playing with the best players, he can still— just run circles around people. And it is unbelievable to watch. He might not win, but he is establishing that he is absolutely a survivor legend. I agree with you completely. I'm, I'm eager to see Tyson get more involved. Yes. He's somebody I had really high hopes for coming in. I want to see him get more screen time and get a little more active. As I said earlier, I think that Jeremy is surprisingly and counterintuitively like very well positioned right now. Yep. I think your so your Sophie argument is is compelling to me though. It is. The other person we have to shout out here is I think Yule is also playing Yule a great is game. Crushing it. And that he's it's not the same as Rob or, or Sandra or Parv, but you do have to wonder with Yule if there's gonna be a moment of clarity for everyone else where they say we just cannot let somebody this he, this good stick he around. He's just a mastermind. If, and again, he probably will not win, but he is showing that strategically Maybe the best ever. But that's the thing. If they if they don't say we have to get him out of here, then he will win. Yeah. Because he's just better at it than everyone else. He's been so fun to watch. Oh, I've loved having him back. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait to see what fruit he finds next week, Riley. Yeah, me too. All right. I think that that will do it for us. Um, this has been The Pod Has Spoken on the Ringer Podcast Network. You will find us on the Ringer Dish feed every Thursday, recapping the latest episode of Survivor for Winners at War. Mallory, thank you so much for coming on the show. We will definitely have you back later, maybe a a post-merge episode. Maybe we'll have you back before the merge. I don't know. Thanks for having me. This was the the honor of a lifetime to be here with you, and I'll, I'll just leave you with this. This is war! 